welcome back to Cover Stories. Today we have Pat. Hey, how's it going, everybody? And Cooper. Hey, how you doing? We're doing something <laughs> a little bit different. We're doing a double header. It's going to be part one of a two-part episode. Uh, Pat's going to take the lead on this one because they will be covering Lua by Bright Eyes. Yeah, uh, Bright Eyes, one of my favorite bands. Uh, conveniently, they just released an album, which I, I was very excited about. It had been the first album, I think, since 2011. I had seen them live in 2011 in Nashville at a, one of my favorite venues and then waited, I guess. Where was it? The Ryman. Ryman. Yeah, so at the Ryman, they played at the Ryman and then wait nine years. And he did some some cool stuff in between, but but really coming back to Bright Eyes just recently, really excited about that album. I, I highly suggest checking it out. Yeah, it's it's on my like queue. I just I need to get I need to get in the mood, maybe light some candles I, or something. Bright Eyes, <laughs> you have to be in the right mood or it like is not gonna fit because it's just too sad. It's sad boy. Sad boy I've, music. I've been in a happy relationship for two years and like anytime <laughs> I've listened like my favorite song, one of my favorites of all time, is Let's Not Shit Ourselves. Anytime in high school when I was sad or I got dumped or like the girl I liked didn't like me, I would drive as fast as I can legally <laughs> and play that song and it would just make me feel better. All, all like 11 minutes of it. Yeah, too. yeah. It's so, a great. That's, that's a great track. But funny story <laughs> about the last time I, I, the last time I saw him in 2011 at the Ryman, there is this fuck lord in the front just yelling <laughs> fucking... Can I get a goddamn Tiffany roll? He literally says like said the entire concert, which is how that song starts. He's just yelling to hope to like prompt Connor to play that song. He's like, "Can I get a goddamn Tiffany roll?" And he just keeps yelling at the whole concert. And then Connor's like, "We're not playing that. I'm sorry." That's got to be like a closer, even if that's the case. If they it, are gonna play it, it's a great song though. I I love that that album is great. And then that's like the end of it, which is just an epic song. If I ever reached a point where I was gonna drive my car off a cliff like them and Louise style, I'd want that. That song playing but i need to find a really really big cliff to jump off yeah it's, it's gonna be a long like uh i guess what's the, the airplane take off on the runway it'd be a long runway to the, to the end right there yeah but yeah I, I'm, I'm glad you chose this um this is uh it's really cool because bright eyes is one of my favorite bands of all time i was telling you earlier lua was the first song i ever downloaded on itunes and that was right i mean it was right before because uh, it was released as a single with um first day of my life and it's such a different song. It's a, kind of the opposite of First Day of My Life in terms of relationships. Uh, why, why did you choose this song specifically? That's a good question. I uh, I I feel like there's, especially, there, a First Day of My Life is like the first song people think of when, when they think of Bright Eyes. And it's a great track. It's it's. Uh, I feel like it paired well with like that Death Cab song that came out right around the same time. The um, I'm, follow you I Will dark. Follow You Into yeah. the Dark. Yeah, I feel like those two songs were were like a, a certain point in, in indie music, but Lua was kind of like the second track on that. Um, and people who gravitated towards Bright Eyes or towards that, like, I, I would call it like lyric heavy yeah. uh, music, uh, really enjoyed that piece. I think, I, I'm not even sure, did he play like a ukulele on it? It, it sounds very daintly, like, yeah. I don't it, think so, though. I, I, yeah, a, no, it just sounds like it's very simple, like the first original track. I... I was really drawn to that song later in life when uh, um, he does a, a cover of it with Gillian Welch um, on Dark Was, Dark Was the Night, which is like this uh, anthology of of like great indie musicians. And I think it came out to like 2009, 2008. But uh, they do a, a more country version of it. And it really like brought the song to life for me because I feel like Lua originally was, it was, it was, a, it was a great catchy song, but it was a little bit slower, like, 
very mellow, very like I'm just strumming like this one instrument and singing along. And the lyrics were like very intense. Um, so you definitely had to be in a mood to listen to it. Um, but when I heard the Gillian Welch version, they do like this back and forth and they do this country like pick in version of it. And I think it, it's credited actually to like Gillian Welch and to Connor Ober. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with bright eyes, but um, obviously it's, it's Connor and bright eyes. Um, Their but voices they, too. Yeah. They just, they match yeah. up perfectly. They take it a little bit more upbeat and it, and it just has this rhythm to it. And it, I was really drawn to that when I, when I heard it the first time I was like, wow, this is, this is like his amazing lyrics here, but it's also amazing music and, and done in a style that I wasn't, I wasn't initially drawn to. Like it wasn't one of those things that like, I feel like he did it on Casadega when he like did a little more country, but um, I'm wide awake comes out, but he also released digital ash at the, at the same day, which is more of like a, an electronic album. Um, but I feel like he became more mature as a musician um, and kind of, gravitated towards folk and towards yeah. uh, like country a little bit. And, and I was really like, like that spoke to me when I heard it the first time I was like, Whoa, this is a cool version of this song. It was a, it was a song I was familiar with. That wasn't one of my favorites off the album. I'm wide awake at first, but about five or six years later, I was like, Whoa, this is a cool version of that song. I, I hated digital ash when it came out. And, but looking back, like easy, lucky free is one of my favorite songs. I just, there's so many of his songs are on my like top 100 of like favorite songs. He does a version of that on KEXP. I would highly recommend. Oh that. yeah. Um, with Phoebe Bridgers. Oh um, cool. When they're yeah. doing so, so yeah. So, uh, better oblivion community center is his newer, newish band with Phoebe. Um, little spoiler alert what we'll be going into later but with phoebe they do a, a version of that song and phoebe sings the whole thing it's oh, cool. really incredible um and also uh i really love like digital ash I, I agree it was one of the it was it wasn't as good as i'm wide awake it's morning but there were some really cool things that you could go back to and yeah and, and the postal service guy uh the dental did a couple of the beats on uh oh, digital cool. ash which is cool like one of those indie darling stories yeah, you do. I was just gonna say the song trading thing is so cool between them. When I saw Better Oblivion at, in Austin, I guess last year, um, yeah, Connor sang Scott Street and she sang some Bright Eyes stuff. It was just like they just traded songs back and forth. Such a cool show, man. Easy, yeah, yeah easy, lucky. For I, you. I love. We're gonna talk more about Phoebe Bridgers in the next episode, um, <laughs> but uh, but I, I love their trade. They they sound like brother sister like he they definitely have this really cool kind of chemistry that i mean it, it just it just feels there, there's like a mentor mentee aspect of it but that's that's kind of simplifying it because i feel he's probably learned just as much as she's learned from him from her on this new album uh, i saw i saw an interview where connor's talking about his life he can like there's very few people in your life you meet where like you draw a hard line you're like my life was like this before my life is like this now and he like credits phoebe for for one of those breaks in time um but yeah i think uh let me see uh take it easy love nothing and arc of time i believe like the the guy who produced all that was dentel oh who did half of the postal service with ben gibbard that's dope yeah so like all like those really cool drum beats and samples and stuff like that's dentel d-e D-N-T-E-L. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he produced those songs for Bright Eyes on that album. And so, like, later in life, again, it was one of those things I went back to, and I was like, I want to give that an, uh, yeah. album a, a chance. I, I kind of gravitated more towards I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning, because those songs were, I feel like, very easily digestible for me at the time um, and very experimental at the same time. 
there's definitely an evolution to it. And I, I feel, I always talk about how music listening is a lot like a role playing game where you have to get certain experience points before you can listen to certain music. And, um, I, I think with that album, especially I was, I mean, I was a junior in high school when it came out. I was very into like the emo stuff that was coming to third wave emo. And, and we kind of talked about this earlier, but like bright eyes always kind of got thrown into that. And I, I definitely associated him with that too as well, but he was definitely a lot more evolved and a lot more, um, a lot more mature in, in the sound. I mean, he's talking about overdoses and like hard times and he's like 23, 24 years old, yeah. you know? Um, it, it's crazy. Cause I, I read something the other day and it was that whole Omaha scene that came out. They were, they were just kids. They were like 13 yeah. or 14 years old. And he, he like credits. He's like, we had some help from adults because when you're that age and you don't have a support network, like, you're not going to know what to do or where to go. Um, and he credits like he had enough support that they like navigated through adolescence while making a record label, while recording, while writing songs, which is just incredible to me. I, I like, I was inspired by that as almost a 30 year old. I was like, this ne- like whenever you raise the next generation, whenever you know these people support them, like they, all they need is a little bit of help and they'll, they'll bloom. And, uh, and I thought that was really cool. Cause I was just like, he didn't realize where to go, yeah. but there was help out there for him and pushing him in that direction helped him make and write the songs he does today, which I, I appreciate. And again, the maturity that he's like shown through the years and, um, and gone towards, I know he was very affected by the whole John Prine passing thing. And that's again, one of my favorites of all time is John Prine. Um, and, and really just lyric heavy. Um, I feel like they craft their lyrics more than they ever craft their music. And that's the, the, the first most important thing to them is to say, hey, I'm a poet. And if I can't create the narrative I want to create, then the whole song isn't worth it. I can play the same three chords this whole time. Um, the music isn't necessary for the song to be conveyed. And, and I, I appreciate that. That's kind of as, a, as, as I've tried to write music or written music, I've always approached things that way. Um, where production is like the whole other side of it, which I, I appreciate and I love. I mean, you l- listen to a song, if it plays, if it sounds good to you, you're going to like it, you're going to gravitate towards it. That's the whole production side. Um, but I feel like the the third, fourth listen, when you hear the lyrics yeah. and you start to digest it, that's what makes you come back to these songs over and over again. I'm so bad with lyrics in general, unless they're like really obvious or really profound. And it, it's funny because I never paid attention to Lua until to, like today and doing research mm-hmm. before. And it's funny because I remember the first time hearing it. I just remember I got into Bright Eyes because an ex-girlfriend of mine put, we were in a video class and she used the calendar hung itself as the soundtrack to that video. And I was like, oh, like this is really cool. I, I want to check out more. So I went on, I, I, I just ruined my computer with Kazaa. So I'm like, I guess I got to do this legally. And I went on iTunes and I bought Lua. And the first hearing, like just the first line talking about having to walk, instantly I'm thinking of like a Cormac McCarthy kind of like novel, yeah. like where they're like in, a, in an apocalypse or something. So I always just associate it. And then I actually read the lyrics today and yesterday. And I was like, oh, now this is like being young and in love and on drugs. Like this is... This is almost as profound in that sense, but it's it's even more elevated because it's so personal, even if it's not necessarily specific. He he does he does an incredible job of like creating this feeling with his with his lyrics, and it's and it's uh, it's complex, but it's uh, I think it's accessible for most people. They they can uh, identify a feeling in their life or a time in their life, and they can say, "Hey, I felt that with this 
you know, you're, you're able to apply your own life to his music, and I feel like he does it in a way that's complex enough where you're like, it feels like a, a bond almost yeah. with the music or with Connor or with Bright Eyes, whatever you want to say. Um, but it's, uh, it's just a, the natural human condition, and 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 you feel that when you listen to Bright Eyes. Sometimes it's so weird, like uh, with stuff like that. I feel like uh, with Lua, with some of those bigger like Bright Eyes songs, but also with Gillian Welch, there's like a certain like folk music aspect to it that I think in uh, Inside Lewin Davis, the little Coen brothers <laughs> on the track, Ooh. it's he says something like it's a folk song and talks about like you've heard it a million times, but it's brand new every time, like something like that. Um, but there, there are like lines in these songs that aren't necessarily like incredibly profound, but paired with a melody of something that feels familiar, but yet feels new. It's like certain lyrics that can be the most basic thing. There's a line in Lua that's, uh, I got a flask here in my pocket. We can share it on the train or whatever. It just, that means nothing. I mean, it it means a lot. It means nothing. It's a casual line. But for some reason, whenever I hear it in the song, like it just hits me. You know, it's like there's certain lines in his writing and her writing and folk songs to that effect that just like they get you in a certain way that, some special, you know. I love when the specific becomes universal. Yeah. I've never lived in New York, but I completely have had those moments with somebody I loved or somebody I thought I loved or somebody, you know, who meant a lot to me where we're like, it's the end of the night. It's like four in the morning and we're just trying to stay awake, you know, and, uh, re- in, in listening to the lyrics and just listening to it paired with the song itself. I mean, it just, it just kind of elevates it to another level with that. Yeah. I, I, have many memories of like riding to school in the morning. I, I for for whatever reason, my brother gave me like a CD. I remember what it looked like. It was like a burned CD that was green on the front. <laughs> but like we were in, we had gone on like a family vacation. Um, I think my grand, my great grandfather had just turned a hundred years old or something, and we went to Montana. And my brother gives me like this burned CD, and it has like some like like early recordings of Bright Eyes, like stuff from the happiness album, the pursuit of happiness or whatever the, the album was called. Um, but he just, and I was listening and I was like, what is this music? Like it's called letting off the happiness. Um, and, uh, I, there's a song called touch on it. And I just like, remember being like, what is this music? My brain was like exploding. I, I couldn't have been more than like 13 years old. Um, but I was just listening to this and I was like, whoa, this is cool. <laughs> like, like there, like there was so much emo- raw emotion and like raw music in it too. It's like a very almost unfinished product. Um, but like there was so much like truth to that where it was just like it was like pumping into my head and I was like, Whoa, this is cool. I had my Walkman literally like just in headphones. I was like, I like this. Um and this was at the same time I was listening to like Blink One Eight Two and like some <laughs> bullshit. Like it was just like, Okay, like this is like yeah. a little bit more real to me at this point. Um and then at that point, like I think the indie scene was starting to explode and there was all these great bands coming out. Um and I just was happy to like be a part of it. I was in the eighth grade. I think at one point I was like, Bright Eyes, Arcade Fire just released an album, um, all this stuff. And I was like, this is like, this is how I feel like I, like what I want my life to be or what I, I there was just, I was going through an emotional time because yeah. I, hormones are, are at an all time high at 13 years old. And, and, and I was just like, this guy gets me, this guy, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it felt right. And, uh. It's just so good if you're wearing Converse and fucking tight <laughs> jeans and going to the thrift stores and buying yeah. fucking stupid shirts and just be like, bright eyes, that's my <laughs> shit right there. Um, and so like, and and it's funny because 
it was that at that point, but today he's he's released some really like inspirational things and and continues to evolve and mature in a way that like he's not trying to be something he's not. He's trying to write and record the best music he can. He and this new album, he has like an orchestra come in and he brings in strings and he brings in all this stuff. And you can tell he really took his time. I, he went through a divorce recently. And I think he found, I think through that pain, I, I, I attribute a lot of musicians to record or to writing and recording through pain. Um, Billy Joel is an example. Like a lot of his stuff is, is, uh, is, is simplified and dumbed down. But at a, at a certain point when he goes through these tough times in life, he's, he draws from that pain and, 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 that exist that existential existence question and and he like extracts from that and he and he writes his music i feel like connor does that. i feel like uh, john prine does that i feel like these people who see the human condition as we're here on earth we're fucking like the sun is killing us like radiation is killing us and fucking oxygen is poison and we're like <laughs> fucking just like these animals here on earth and we're trying to like dig through our emotions with like other people and like on like a deeper level. And it's fucking just, it fucking hurts. And, and they draw on that pain and they create music, which is beautiful. Um, and is, is something as natural as like birds singing in the air and shit like that. It's, I don't know. It's crazy. I could talk that's about most, that. That's the most profound thing anybody's <laughs> ever said about Billy Joel in the fucking history of music. Fucking piano man. Billy Joel's like, yeah. Uh, I like you maybe right the a waitresses lot. practicing politics yeah. while the businessman slowly gets Dude. stoned. I mean, dead to the author, man. You can turn anything into... <laughs> but Billy Joel I, sucks ass. <laughs> Hot take over here. That's, that's, that's a whole new... Are episode. we talking pre-80s Billy Joel? Or? Dude, <laughs> we're play 80s Joel. We're play 80s Joel. Anytime he went through a divorce, he wrote like a fucking amazing song afterward. Do you listen to fucking Nylon Curtain? That I think sh- you're referring to when he recently got divorced from that woman that's on The Kitchen on Food Network, <laughs> Katie Lee. I don't know who that and is. Her new, so she's uh, a chef on the Food Network. Hell yeah. Um, very young, attractive woman. And Billy Joel looks like an old, <laughs> like, Pokemon or something at this point. <laughs> like, he looks like a cartoon. Looks like the and third wrinkle on your penis. Yeah, he's penis. <laughs> and uh, her, they got divorced. And she is now married to just that beautiful man. Well, good that's, for her. It's like, and like, Billy Joel. like seven feet tall and just jacked guy that's like young and beautiful and doesn't write bad songs like Billy Joel. <laughs> Billy Joel is like the better Bruce Springsteen. Okay, we'll just shut, that. Uh, shut your fucking mouth. Um, back to Brighton. Yeah, uh, no, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, well, no, Connor. Just, yeah. Connor is Billy Joel, whereas Ben Gibbard is Bruce Springsteen. All right, <laughs> Whoa. They also hot take. Um, <laughs> on a side note of Bruce Springsteen, have y'all heard of the band Diarrhea Planet? Yes. I went to school with a lot of those fuckers. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. In Nashville, they went to Belmont, and like a lot of those guys, I had classes with them, and uh, they went on tour with uh, Jeff the Brotherhood, and okay. then they just started to blow up after that, and like I never saw them again. I <laughs> saw them wasted at South by, and I just remember, like all I remember about them was liking them, but not remembering any of their songs. And remember thinking, why do they have three guitars? They all play the same part. <laughs> and they're all like these cool guitars. But all, and then I look, I'm like, oh, they all play like Squires. Like, and I'm not like a snob by any means. I'm just like, why do they have three guitars? But they do a song called Ghost with a Boner, which is basically the Bruce Springsteen song. Um, oh, I can't even Ghost remember. Ghost Tom Joad? No, it's a... Uh, it's, uh, 
the Dancing oh, in the Dark. Uh, dancing in the Dark. Uh, but it's to the tune of Dancing in the Dark, and it's just called Ghost with a Boner, and it's one of my favorite songs all, right that's now. That's sacrilegious. All those guys are <laughs> incredible musicians. Like they, I, they oh, yeah, they shred. They're yeah. awesome. Yeah, so, yeah, Diarrhea Planet, definitely worth checking out. They were, like, the hot thing coming out of Nashville, and I was there for a couple years. Um, definitely went to a lot of their shows at houses. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, like, go back, going back to, to Connor Oberst, um, you know, you brought up the, the Saddle Creek and then the Omaha scene in general. I just love that all those guys were like so interchangeable in the bands. I mean, he, t- Connor's first band was uh, Commander Venus with Tim Casher from Cursive. I think one of the guys from The Faint. Yeah. One thing I didn't learn until recently was that Connor Oberst was originally into Faint when they started. They're called Norman Baylor. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, they were, they were, uh, it was like not when they were called the fame, but yeah. yes, it was like the same members, um, and they were all out of that Omaha scene. They, and again, they was like they they pushed themselves into like relevancy. They were like, yeah. well, this is like the goal. We're a whole bunch of musicians in fucking Omaha, and uh, <laughs> and we're gonna like turn down money and fame and like do we're like fucking punk rock, but they weren't. You know, it's like we're gonna do our thing. Like this is the the goal is to make art or to make music, and it's not to make money. Um, and a lot of them did that. And, and he talks about, I, I've seen it like recently cause, um, cause he's done a lot more interviews about this new album coming out, but he, I, I feel like he's more reminiscent on the past right now. Um, and it's just, it's incredible to hear his side of it. You know, yeah. it's like, this is, this was the goal. Like they were all pure at heart and they were like, we're, we're going to record, we're going to make music, we're going to go on tour, we're going to sell merch, we're going to. We're gonna do the whole thing. We're not gonna. We're gonna leave big business out of it, big record companies out of it, because that's not who we are. That doesn't represent us as, yeah. as musicians. I I remember talking to friends in high school and talking about like because we're I, I was born and raised here in San Antonio and I mean our scene our scene's fine. It's great. It's cool. Uh, but I just remember talking to like friends and them talking about like oh which scene did you wish you grew up in and like a lot of them were like about Jersey and I love a lot of the Jersey emo bands. I love. Thursday saves the day, stuff like that. And some of them were talking about Florida because that's where like the pop punk came mm-hmm. stuff came from, you know, newfound glory and, and bands like that. And I said Omaha, and he looked at me like I farted. Like <laughs> I was like, no, like Omaha, man. Like that's that's Saddle Creek. And they were like, no, you're dumb. Like the that's why would you want to live in Omaha? <laughs> yeah. But I love that. I love the the collaboration. And 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 he ended up Connor Oberson ended up going to New York, and he's got connections with L.A. That's how Rilo Kylie kind of came onto mm-hmm. Saddle Creek. And I love that Rilo Kylie is like, they're all like kid, act- or two of them at least are kid actors and they came together and I love those, those early albums. This later stuff's good too, but, mm-hmm. but the takeoffs and landings is one of my favorite albums and execution of all things is another good one. Yeah. That, I mean that early, like, I guess, I mean, when Connor was really starting, it was like mid nineties, but like really when you get to like 2000 to 2006, there was like this like explosion of these bands that made music from the heart or, you know, like they, they, they didn't, they didn't have to fit yeah. uh, a record company's idea of popular music and they didn't have to fit. Um, I mean like the access of recording, the access of, uh, of marketing was all becoming, uh, it was becoming, you could, you could do it from your home. You could do it from your living room. You could do it from wherever you wanted to. Um, and I think a lot of, there was a power struggle um, and CD sales, you know, stopped and there was LimeWire and there was um, iTunes and there was this, a new access to music that there wasn't ever before. I think Radiohead gave away an album for free and rainbows. Um, And it it just, it was a shift in the music industry and literally the foundation like was, was changed because, Hey, we're not making music or we're not making money. 
the same way we made money before. Um, and I think a lot of people realize that and they're like, we're going to have to take this music on the road. We're going to have to make it personal. We're going to have to create a, a, a connection to the next generation. Um, and I know I was that next generation. You were the next generation. Um, and there was access to these bands that kind of spoke to us yeah. um, in a different way, I think, historically than had ever spoken to a generation. I think the punk scene in the 80s did it. Um, and there was this like counterculture movement. Um, but we didn't see it really heavily hit like that again until um, late nineties, early two thousands when, um, when people could do what they wanted to do. I mean, Elliot Smith did it yeah. and, and the, all these people like they, they reached, they reached the, who they wanted to reach because there was access. There was the internet. There was all this stuff that we had never used before. Uh, and I think bright eyes, they, they, they took advantage of that in, in, a, in a good way and, and were able to do things that a lot of, a lot of musicians don't do. And a lot of things that we don't see, um, and yeah, and it was just, it was incredible to hear the maturity in some young kid who had been yeah. doing it since he was 13 or 14 years old. It's it's so weird to think about, cause I mean, I, he's seven years older than me, but I remember listening to him and thinking like, man, this guy's gone through like a 40 year old life yeah. and you know, and he dated Winona Ryder, he's had ODs and that's why I love, let's not shit ourselves so much. The part where he's talking about like his dad being there, like it fucks me up. Yeah, like, no, it's fucked you up. Know, yeah. I, I feel like just listening to that. I've, you know, I've got a great relationship with my parents, but there were, we've had issues as most kids do, most teenagers, and that part always just messes me up, like, where he's just talking like, you know, I'm nothing you can do can can make me not yeah. love you, and but just don't do it again, and yeah. I'm just like, fuck, man. No, I mean, that's like a universal message that, yeah. like, I feel like if you have a great relationship with your parents, you have a terrible relationship with your parents, there's, like, this struggle of, of, of emotion and love and, uh, and, and you give each other things and you take from each other and all this stuff. And, and Connor captures that same with like love relationships with, with a significant other. Um, I feel like he does a great job of capturing um, the condition of, of not being able to give enough or, or someone giving too much. And, and he captures a lot of this in the song and it makes it, like I said, accessible to the, the everyday listener. And if you sit down and listen to the lyrics or the music, you feel something uh, that you don't normally get from music. And, and I think his, one of the reasons why bright eyes gets thrown into this emo thing. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like a very emotional, like feeling that you get with the music, but at the same time, he does it, I think in a mature way. Um, and in recent years has, has become even a little bit more mature with it. He, I mean, there was a, there was a huge break. Like we talked about earlier, he, he released people's key in 2011, which I thought was a great album. Um, very, very much more put together than a lot of his other things. Um, and uh, just, yeah, I mean, it was it was it was forward thinking. It was apocalyptic. It was all these things where it, it, it lasted a long time. And I, and I went and revisited it multiple years later. But then he didn't release anything until this year, until 2020. Um, and I feel like he kept a lot of those themes. And here we are in 2020 in a post. And it feels like an <laughs> apocalyptic world almost. Um, and a lot of these themes fit very well right now. And, and I feel like almost all the interviews I've seen recently are, 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 uh, hearkening to that. You know, it's, it's this guy, this guy's talking about the end of times about like how sad the world can be. He went through a divorce recently. Um, so he was, he was happy all these, these, like these years between these two albums. And then he's gone through a divorce recently. You hear that sadness in the album. You hear his, again, his human condition of 
my heart's broken. You hear, and so you get a lot of these elements from that new album, and I, and I I've really enjoyed it so far listening to it. I yeah, definitely need to check it out. What uh, you mentioned a lot of. I mean, there's that break. There's a break from Bright Eyes. But he did a lot of other stuff in between those and it eight sucks. nine years. <laughs> oh what, what are some of the ones? Are there any of the ones that you like? The side uh, projects. I highly recommend listening to the song Cape Canaveral off of. I think it was his first solo album. I think it, he might have even released that right towards 2011. That one's a great track. That album is bad. Um, and then he did uh, the Upside Down Mountain, which was really good. He recorded that with a band in Austin called Dawes D A W E S. He recorded with Dawes in Austin. Yeah, uh, no, I think they went to Blackbird in Nashville. I thought you just said Austin. No, but the ba- Dawes is from Austin. They're not fucking from Austin. They live there. No, they're fucking not. <laughs> really? They're from California, baby. Fuck those fuckers. Okay, I, I thought they had like a strong connection to Let Austin. Let me tell you something. Austin wishes. Oh, shit. Okay, well, Upside Down Mountain's a good album. <laughs> there's, some fucking, there's some fucking great players okay, on it. fact check that Okay, one, yeah, we got to look at that. Wrong. But, uh, but definitely check out Upside Down Mountain. That one was good that Connor did completely solo um but los angeles but so they're from la i fucked up but i'm <laughs> i'm pretty sure they live in austin now they they're, they don't live in austin okay but they're too cool for austin <laughs> we gotta be in la dude okay we're moving to la <laughs> we are going so he did that one um then he I, I saw earlier that he like went to his local music store which i highly recommend alamo music center uh but he went to his local music store in oh nebraska and bought a piano he was like i bought it like a badass piano Samic. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah like a young chang or Samic or something um and uh so he buys one and then he wrote ruminations and there's some it was like he released two albums one of them's just piano and him singing with a harmonica and then one of them's like more full band. Those ones are okay. And then Better Oblivion Community Center. That's highly, highly, highly recommend that one. That one was two years ago, 2018. Great album with the wonderful, beautiful Phoebe Bridgers. <laughs> She's an incredible, incredible artist that's um, really kind of, I feel like, taken over the the that that scene where yeah. wherever you want to put bright eyes where it like is a little emo but more just like i, I would call it just songwriter yeah. you know it's 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 incredible the how the, how much effort they put into crafting the perfect lyric um but she's also um forward thinking on production um she did she produced this guy christian lee hudson the uh, best yeah who's a great artist she produced one of his albums so this guy so she's just like thinking about the whole package you know she's got the lyrics she's got um, the production quality, she brings in symphonies and she brings in orchestra players and really crafts this beautiful narrative. Um, but that Better Oblivion Community Center album, Connor and Phoebe did that completely together. And one of the, one of my favorite albums of 2018 for sure. Um, highly recommend it. And they played a whole bunch of stuff live. Cooper, you know, you had said you had seen them live. Um, and they play they played Bright Eyes songs and they played yeah. Phoebe songs. But really, just. I think kind of the future of this genre. Um, I feel like women in general have, have taken over in this genre, which is great. I, a yeah. lot, a lot of my favorite musicians recently are, you know, Phoebe Bridgers, there's Julia Jacqueline, there's Faye Webster. She's great. Faye. Um, and, uh, you know, there's just, they, they, they really have taken over and they have a story to tell. I mean, we, we, we went through the whole me too movement. We went through, I mean, I, it's just a constant struggle to go through inequality movements. It's, it's, uh, but there's 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 pain and there's and there's truth and there's there's things to be said and I feel like um, there's opportunity um, for a lot of women musicians right now 
Yeah, I just feel like it's just so weird. Even without like the stories or whatever, the just music is better. Dude. It's it's, it's incredible. It's like, yeah, I'm saying like even like I'll go over to Pat's house or whatever. They'll put on like Julia Jacqueline radio or something. You know, yeah. Like when we're over there, and we found like Stella Donnelly. Oh yeah, Stella Donnelly. Just yeah, like just random like artists that I I would not have found otherwise or whatever and just like the melodies and the instrumentation is like so much cooler than anything that i yeah it's just it's just insane insanely good music. well and unfortunately like the music industry has been dominated by men for ever and i feel just recently women got an opportunity to like be in the spotlight um which is amazing and uh and there was things like rilo kylie in the early 2000s like and they were that was like uncommon very uncommon and these girls grew up listening to that you know and then they grew up and they were playing and they were 15 years old playing electric guitar writing songs all this stuff and we're seeing the like the the fruition of that um and i think some of the best music coming out today i i love that like exactly what you guys said i mean there's this i hate to call it like a, a renaissance of women because there have been women just not oh, as yeah. popular yeah. And, and i know that's not what you guys are saying but like when i think when i look at boy genius mm-hmm. and the fact that you know, there's this boys club but then you know phoebe bridgers and then um julian baker who's amazing mm-hmm. and lucy dacus who i'm not as familiar with you know they, they just came together and did their own thing and i feel like everything phoebe touches is just so good it's incredible and, um, you know, there's stuff like that, but you listen to them. I was listening to her and uh, Connor Oberst on uh, the Fucked Up podcast, uh, Damien Abraham's uh, Turned Up a Punk. And he was talking about, she was talking about how she, like, grew up on Vivian Girls and, you know, that, that whole punk movie where the, the Riot Girl stuff kind of started coming back in the late 2000s. And those girls got shit on by, mm-hmm. like, message boards. And, like, they really, I mean, Lacera, Katie Goodman came out of Lacera. He came out of Vivian Girls, started Lacera. And she was just talking about how, like, every little thing was like, oh, they're good for chicks. Or, you know, just always that comment. Yeah. And, you know, they took a lot of the, they did a lot of the grunt work. And, and there's no, you know, they they really kind of were, they walked so people like Phoebe Bridgers could run. And, you know, they're taking advantage of it. And they're not, and she's, I mean, she's just amazing. We'll, we'll talk about her more in the I next know. episode. I'm, I'm excited to talk yeah. about Phoebe. She's she's just, I mean, there's a fresh breath of air for yeah for. I, I, indie music or whatever yeah. you want to call this genre where it's uh yeah it's slower rock or it's 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 lyric heavy rock yeah and um there's a like very poignant quote that phoebe bridgers actually said where she was she said something to the effect of like um it's like every female artist's curse to be like lumped in with or like compared to Joni mitchell mm-hmm. yeah because Joni mitchell is like my god you know like i just i love her so much but then oftentimes anytime you hear just like an incredible female songwriter everybody's like oh man like she's the new Joni mitchell (laughs) and it's like well no she's not you know she's like there there are all these artists from i don't know like we're big fans of wise blood and like natalie marrying and stuff and everybody's like, oh, well, it's just like Karen Carpenter or whatever. But because uh, <laughs> it's very Carpenters-esque. But there's just like, it's, I don't think you, it's always like maybe a positive thing when people throw in like, well, Connor Oberst is like the John Prine of the generation or something. They call them, they call them Bob Dylan for a long time. Yeah. Or like, you know, it's like the next best thing from Bob Dylan or whatever. But it, it definitely feels just almost like uh, diminishing to be like, oh, yeah, yeah. well, like, Phoebe's like the new Joni Mitchell because there's so much that she does 
that Joni Mitchell would never do and mm-hmm. vice versa. And there's like so different in their song styles and everything. But people pick like one or two incredible female artists from the 60s and 70s to be like, oh, well, Mitski is like this, mm-hmm. you know, Joan Baez or something, you know. But, I always, I thought, it was, I always thought it was funny, like when Bright Eyes was at like his height, they were always harking back to, oh, this is the new Bob Dylan. He's like a, 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 an ultimate crafter of words and of ideas. Um, and it's so different than Bob Dylan. It, it in is so many ways. It is because I mean he he very he very much hits on the head like you know uh, heart heartbreak abuse of drugs all all this stuff that he I feel like he he's a little more direct with it. Um, and one of the reasons I appreciate that is it's it's just it felt felt like it was in the moment, and he didn't he didn't really he didn't write to be that, but as a result of how good his writing was, they, they contribute or it's attribute. It's sincere, you know, yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is it's sincere. He's not trying to be anything. He's just being personal mm-hmm. and, and really kind of just opening himself up to everything. Um, I, I think uh, it's, it's, I think a lot of times, especially with, with people from a more broad audience, you have to like make those comparisons, but it also feels very cheap to simplify it to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think a lot about like, I mean, I, the first thing I thought of when I heard Billie Eilish was like, oh, like this is like Fiona Apple kind of, but then you like realize how far it's not, you know, it just, it reminds you of, it reminded me of Fiona Apple. She reminded me of Fiona Apple, but then you start listening more and like, no, there's, this is a whole new thing. Um, I feel that way. I think a lot of it is just like how you, you guys mentioned this a lot, just how you feel listening to this music. And I think that's what kind of separates Connor Oberst and just Bright Eyes in general from a lot of these other like associated third wave emo acts is the sense that yeah this is something you could write on your like myspace bulletin board these lyrics but it still resonates today it's not like you're you know it's not like a taking back sunday lyric you know it's not like like oh man i sound like i'm 16 you sound 16 you also sound 25 you sound 30 when you when you hear a, a connor oberst lyric i think it's, it's really cool that he's got this transcending over generations in real time do you want to hear the worst thing ever I uh, remember in eighth grade, some girl gave me her Converse to write lyrics of "Bowl of or- Bowl of Oranges," a Bright Eyes song. <laughs> write the lyrics on her Converse. I did it. Hey, that's a <laughs> that's great. I remember speaking of MySpace bulletins. <laughs> so Patrick was from like I I think Patrick's like fifteen twenty years older than me. Probably twenty five. So about twenty five years older than me. No, um, like five. You're turning thirty this year. Yeah. Six. Yeah, six years. Okay, yeah. so anyway, so I was like a little bit behind. And Patrick, I feel like since he's not going to do it himself, I got to be the one to come in here and say he's very humble about his music, but combines a lot of the things that we love about, say, Connor Oberst, but also like a John Prine type. There's the folk aspect. There's the cool production, electronic stuff. It's just, just an all-encompassing artist himself that rarely promotes his own music. So I'm glad that some of his stuff is going to get pushed on here. Cause it's really good. Um, but yeah, definitely happy to be here. Yeah. But, uh, shut up. But, um, <laughs> Patrick, you know, was, had his formative years in the bright eyes, death cab, uh, time. I didn't necessarily. Um, and it was more of a thing for me when I was in like eighth and ninth grade or whatever that, I just wanted to listen to rock. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking Tool. Zach knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's like Tool and System of a Down and stuff like that for me at that time. But when I was in freshman year, I received a mixtape that had First Day of My Life, 
and I will follow you into the dark on it, which are the like at the now I know like that's skimming the fat off the top of the bone broth, if you know what I'm saying. Hell yeah. But uh at the time that's I was Stairway like, to Hell Heaven, you know. Listen <laughs> yeah. to Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven. Yeah, that's like, <laughs> you know, it's it's pedestrian. However, at the time I was like, wait, people can say this? That's insane. I was listening to Lateralis for the last three years. <laughs> And I never heard words like this. Um, And, you know, I, it's almost like I just associated that type of stuff with the Dylan records that like my mom gave me or whatever. But then it's just like, it's so heartbreaking. I I mentioned earlier words that if you read them on a page would be like, okay. But then you hear like the timbre of Connor Ober's voice saying one of these things. And it's just like, oh my God, I'm crying right now. Um, But then couple years after that my sister which is funny that you talk about zach giving you a mixtape with early bright eyes and stuff uh my sister gave me a mixtape that was like included with a map that had ben gibbard in the middle and then just like (laughs) this crazy web of like you know jenny lewis like just all these people connecting to different bands and so it, it was called like ben gibbard and friends or something and it drew lines to like Wilco and Sunkill Moon and all this different stuff. And it was like the most emotional mixtape I've ever gotten because all the songs were sad. But uh, just like some of the cool stuff that then it, that was a big thing that like, oh, set me off to where like Wilco is like a top three band for me now. And, um, you know, before two months ago, I really loved Sunkill Moon. <laughs> <laughs> you read that stuff, right? What was that? Um you know, Mark. Himself? Yeah, his accusations. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's rough to hear. It's this is. I mean, I hate to say it, but this is just a reality of this. Is like a bingo card for this podcast because we bring up somebody and we can't, we can't ignore those things. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. He's he's coming back saying that that's not true. Connor Oberst had an accusation about eight or nine years ago. He he went back and did a what's it called lawsuit, like a, a reverse lawsuit, and the woman came forward and said it. She made him up. I mean, the timelines didn't make sense, mm-hmm. so there was some 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 factual aspects of it that made it to where it wasn't true. And instead of coming down on her, he kind of you know he talked to her, and he, I, I think he handled it really well. And I hate that I'm saying that. Like, mm-hmm. how can you handle an accusation well? But I think that's really the best case scenario um, yeah. when it comes to stuff like that. We had a whole episode where we talked about Ryan Adams, and yeah. and I mean we'll talk probably more when, when we get to Phoebe Bridgers, but. There, there are aspects of what do what do you guys think? I guess it's it's interesting to get different perspectives when it comes to people whose music you love, who are complete shitty people mm-hmm. and dirtbags and do horrible things. That that's yeah. There's there's a lot of elements on that on the new Bright Eyes album. I wouldn't say a lot, but there there's definitely uh, harking back to the firing squad that in this case unrightfully lined up to to basically shoot him down you know and it's yeah and uh I, and that was one of the reasons why there hasn't been an album and why there was the disillusion of, or you know they, they bright eyes went away i i know that really on some of his solar projects you can hear like the pain he had from that whole scenario happening where it's your worst fear is being misrepresented in the media or being hey this you know oh that guy's you, you know at this point they were calling him a rapist you know it's yeah. like he had these accusations to come back from that as because i mean he's never been one to shy away from the fact that he's going to call himself a piece of shit on his own songs you know like that's kind of what like classic bright eyes is like i'm not worthy of like being in the spotlight or being the limelight um of fame or or whatever you want to call it um but here he is with 
you know, like the sights on him. It's like, you're about to go down because of this. And he had to recover from that because it's like, Hey, this isn't true. Like, yeah. And, and it was proven that it wasn't true, but he just felt, I, 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 and you listen to his lyrics, you just, you hear it from it, from his perspective. And he's just like, he's like, he's thankful. You know, it's like, he's like, I was misrepresented and I'm th- like, he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not mad. He's not, it's just all this stuff. He's like, life is fragile. And like his, per- the perception of him is fragile. And I feel like he takes that to heart now. Yeah. And, uh, and but, you can hear those elements on his album. You can hear it on some of his solo stuff. He's like, I, I'd rather walk away from all this than like have to deal with that shit again. Cause I mean that I can't even imagine, you know, it's like if you, especially if you're not, you're, you're innocent and there's this giant spotlight on you as like, this guy's a piece of shit. It's hard, and it's hard. I feel like it's difficult. Not, I mean, obviously, like the most difficult part is the victims. I mean, I'm not going to oh, take yeah. anything away from that, but it's also difficult as an artist who is innocent, and you know, you have to be careful what you say because you don't want to diminish the person, you don't want to diminish the victim or other victims, and it, it's really hard to to kind of to do both of those things at the same time uh, without you know really chastising the other. And and that's why I I really kind of was happy to see this whole Phoebe Bridgers thing. Like it was, we'll get into this later, but, but Phoebe Bridgers was the victim in, in a situation that, that, uh, where there was, you know, like mal malpractice or, you know, foul play, but it, um, to see them come together, victim and someone who was accused, an innocent person who was accused is, is kind of a cool combination to see create music and to see their outlook on life together. And so I, I, yeah, I, I, I really have appreciated what they've done together. I know he was really influential on her album that she just released, Punisher. Um, but just really excited. I, I feel like he was not as interested in music until he met her again. And that it kind of like spurred his interest in music. And, and I've seen interviews where he's like, again, I've, I remember my life before Phoebe. I remember it now after. Yeah. And, and I would say that she's brought him back into like the whole swing of things, which is really cool to see. Uh, because I think he's better while he's writing and while he's producing and, and doing all the stuff. And uh, in Bright Eyes, I know there's there's Mike Mogus, who's his like... They think he's like the underrated no, part of Bright Eyes. He, yeah. he really is because it's incredible. He uh, he will... When you hear Connor's solo stuff or things that don't in- include him, there's something missing. And it's like hard to put your finger on because it's... Because um, it's still Connor singing, you hear his voice, you hear his lyrics, they're there, but there's something missing, and it's like that third element, which is the production yeah. and the the, over, the overall uh, direction of the song. And I 100 percent agree. I think he's he's like an undervalued or underappreciated. I don't know if he's undervalued. I know I know Connor probably appreciates him oh, a yeah. lot, but um, but people don't know who this guy is. But he was in Monsters yeah. of Hulk. He was in. He's done all the Bright Eyes stuff. He just. He, he picks the direction. I, I feel like he's like that missing element that Connor needs. Yeah, he's a lot like George Martin to the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, but I think even more as far as his involvement. Like George Martin obviously is very important to the Beatles, but what Mogus does is I, I feel like he's he's not only like pulling the switches afterwards, he's helping paint that picture as mm-hmm. well. Um, I'm glad you read A Monsters of Folk because I was trying to figure out a way to get to that. Um, yeah. What uh, what do you think of Monsters of Folk as a whole, as them individually? I I like the idea of my morning jacket. Mm-hmm. I can't get into them personally. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jim James or Yim Yames or whatever his yeah. name was. Uh, <laughs> no, I I think uh, 
I think there's a lot of talent there, but again, I'm I'm not, I'm also not someone who who got really into them. Um, he put together a John Prine tribute album with uh, Bonavere, Justin Vernon, um, and they all did like a Brian, or they all did a, a a John Prine song. So it was uh, I think the opening track is Justin Vernon from Bonavere, and My Morning Jack does a song right after that and then like two songs later connor does my uh mystic valley band or maybe it's maybe it's just connor um but they're all doing like uh, a tribute to john prine this was four or five years ago um but they're all they all are tied to that genre and it, and i feel like it's hard to put your finger on what that genre is um because it's lyric heavy it's songwriter heavy um it can be country it can be folk it can be all these it can be all these little things um, but I, I feel like the idea of Monsters of Folk was like a great idea. Um, I don't know execution wise whether it was it turned out what they want. I like I, I feel like they held their own songs back a little bit. They, they came up with this idea all together. But they're like, if I have a really good song, I'm not going to bring it to the table yeah. because <laughs> Save it for I, I need my album. <laughs> you know, it's M. Ward. It's uh, it's Mike Mogus from Bright Eyes. It's Connor Obers from Bright Eyes. Um, and then uh, Jim James from My Morning Jacket. And those guys are all super talented people. Um, great ideas. Great musicians. I never, I never like, listened to the album and was like, oh, there's something amazing here. I, yeah. I feel like the, like the idea of Monsters of Folk, I feel like it was, um, it was a two, th- like, I probably came out in, like, 2006 or seven or something. But it was, like, the idea was great. I, the execution, I don't, I don't think, was there. Um, but I appreciate all those musicians for, for what they do. It almost felt kind of, I don't want to say satirical, but I mean, the, the name itself, Monsters of Folk, is like a play on Monsters of Rock. You know? yeah. It's, it's kind of like this, like, I mean, they are obviously like a super folk group. And the fact that they like titled themselves like a super folk group itself is kind of like a joke. But I, I think the thing that comes out of that that I remember the most is I think their single, was it called Dear God or Dear Something? Mm-hmm. The, Roots, Dear God, yeah. the Roots used that as a sample. And I think they made it an even better song. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I feel like that again. It was it was it was a cool idea that that uh, didn't get executed well. Because I just I, yeah, I feel like they were all at the height of their career too. Yeah. Um, and I feel like they all maybe tried to write a song together, write songs together. Um, and it's, none of them turned out that well, which <laughs> <laughs> happens. And, and and unfortunately, I think it's just a high. It's like it's a hard bar to reach uh-huh. for other individual stuff. I I enjoy it, but it's not one of those heavy play. It's like Watch yeah. the Throne. Yeah, <laughs> Jay Z Kanye crap mashup where it like, like the sum of their parts wasn't greater than like who they were individually. Wasn't greater than like a big Sean verse. <laughs> we could do a whole Kanye episode. Let's refrain. Let's refrain 2020, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think about Despacitos? Because I think that's my favorite side project of Connor Obers. It's good. I love Despacito. They they fucking... <laughs> <laughs> that is not... <laughs> they, uh... That's a mashup waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, I mean, they rock hard. I feel like it's like an energy out, uh, like output for, uh, for Connor. He's like, I need an outlet of energy just to like project and like play like some... It's like, it's like punk yeah. rock. It's it's good. I mean, there's a couple songs that I really like. It's very politically charged and very like emotionally charged. Um, I I don't I don't put it on the same level as like Bright Eyes or even as Connor's solo stuff, but like it's it's entertaining to like go and um, dive into because you can tell he puts a lot of energy into like just straight energy. It's like 
him projecting yeah. just the purest form of like his rage or something. Yeah, I think some of my, I mean, even like, did you ever hear any of Commander Venus stuff? Was that their first? Yeah, he's yeah, like yeah. 14. <laughs> he sounds like he's 14. Mm-hmm, yeah. But there is a part, my favorite song from them is called uh, My Other Car is a Spaceship, and I can only find it on YouTube. I can't find a copy of it, or it's, I don't think it's on Spotify. Their other second album, I think, is on Spotify. But there's a part in there, I mean, he sounds like, he literally sounds like a little kid singing, and there's a part where he just like drops all of his melody and just goes into this like screaming, and is just like, man, I fucking love this. And it's, not good tonally, but yeah. it just, this like, I just felt like I was like, that was me. It spoke to me in a way. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, he literally just goes off in that band. I, I just remember how charged it was like when, uh, the whole George Bush thing was going on and, and <laughs> how much Connor loves George. You know? Did you know that SNL had like had Andy Samberg play Connor Oberst in a sketch? No. What, what was it? What was the it was like, it was a, a, there was like an anti Bush type of we are the world. And Connor, like they introduced him as an indie sensation, Connor Oberst, and Andy Samberg played him. But it wasn't like a great impression because nobody knew who he They're was. Like, what are they fucking talking about here? <laughs> but um, but yeah, that that's another out. It's another single when the president talks to God that I got downloaded from iTunes. Yeah, no, I just remember like a, a, a there was one. I'm trying just trying to find the name. The uh, Despacitos. They they do a uh, they do this thing and they're talking about like military and they're like point and click and they like mushroom cloud you know they're just talking about like our like uh, interference in the middle east and i was like this is hardcore this is yeah this is fucking raw right now they're, they're talking about killing people innocent people and i was like yeah he's pretty mad <laughs> he's pretty fucking mad right now and so i yeah no it's it's definitely not something like i i gravitate towards but like i definitely have listened to it and been like connor is this is his out outlet for uh angst right here and i like it yeah it's, it's interesting yeah um so kind of come and bring this full circle like i said we are going to talk about phoebe bridgers more in the next episode um are there any final thoughts about about connor Oberst, about bright eyes about the song lua uh i i just appreciate a lot that um this new album and bright eyes today has been uh I just feel like it's been focused and there's only three members now, three official members of Bright Eyes and he brings in whoever he wants to bring in, you know, he'll, he'll make 10 people on the stage or whatever, but it's Mike Mogus, Connor Oberst and Nate Walcott. And they've been together for, you know, since the beginning. And, uh, um, they really, I feel like they have focused energy. They have focused, uh, intentions. Um, I feel like Connor does a great job of, of crafting before putting it down. Um, and so, um, I, if you haven't heard the new album, I highly recommend it. I highly recommend getting into Better Oblivion Community Center. I think him and Phoebe have something special together. Um, and when, yeah, when Connor's on point, he's on point. And uh, I feel like he recently has kind of hit his stride, um, grown up. Um, there's a lot less frills in his music and a lot. Uh, I mean, you look at some of his early albums, he does like interview, like like mock interviews on it. A lot of... Um, uh, just like some some goofy stuff that could be yeah. seen as goofy, but um, when you look back at it, but I feel like he tries to craft a fully thought out pro- like project, and so this new album I think does a great job. It has like a very interesting intro into it, and it just kind of goes through this narrative of his life right now, divorced, um, and uh, looking for you know his existential journey's next step, um, and so yeah, I, I I definitely if you haven't listened to Connor. Highly recommend it. Awesome. Uh, do you guys have any plugs? 
No plugs here. Alamo Music Alamo Center. Music Center. <laughs> you got to check us out at Alamo Music Center. We're on Video YouTube. content. Uh, Zach has been producing. Due to the addition of Zach Cavender has hit an all-time high. Yeah, and if you haven't seen us smash a guitar, you need to check it out because I grab a guitar from Cooper's hand and just smash Spoiler it. Spoiler alert. Oh, sorry. <laughs> there he grabs a guitar, but who knows what, who knows what happens <laughs> next. Was that an Animal House reference? Or like. I don't think so. Okay, so that was no, what I, I saw thought. That, of what I, saw. I saw that that clip got like commented on the video <laughs> several places. Of the the smash is it live? What the video? Yeah. Oh, I mean every every outlet, Facebook, maybe <laughs> some more, but definitely every single one. Only Facebook. Okay. Any other plug? <laughs> any other plugs? Um, I think the biggest thing that needs to get tied to this episode is that I've played a few shows with uh, Patrick Marr before. I've seen him play in some settings. I know he's, he man, this guy opened for Bob Schneider at Antones. Right. Ooh, in high school. <laughs> uh, this guy has recorded at Ocean Way. Yeah. This guy did. Did he do RCA Studio B? Yeah. This guy has uh, made legendary tunes, yet uh, you can't find any of it on Spotify. And so maybe this can be a jumping off point in which we can convince him to post some tracks because there's a lot of good stuff in this there's well. A, there's hundreds of songs that are that Cooper has access to that most people don't. There's a lot of really good stuff, and I think uh, Patrick's a very talented songwriter and musician. So uh, let's let's get this ball rolling. You know what I'm saying? I think that's the main plug for this episode. I love it. Awesome. Well, coming up next, we've got Pat and Cooper covering Lua by Bright Eyes. Thank you. 
skinny like a model With your eyes all painted black You just keep going to the bathroom You say you'll be right back Well it takes one to know one kid I think you got it bad Is easy in the evening by the morning such a drag Flask inside my pocket we can share it on the train And if you promise to stay conscious I try and do the same Medication, we sure killed all the pain. Cause what is normal in the evening by the morning seems insane. And I'm not sure what the trouble was that started all of this. The reasons all have run away. The feeling it never did It's not something that I would recommend But it is one way to live Cause what is simple in the moonlight Is so complicated